Good day, wonderful being, beautiful soul. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. We have another fantastic episode for you today. We have Roger Nirenberg on, and we are talking about music and the art of leadership. Roger is literally a world-famous conductor. He has led orchestras all over the world at the highest level and just an all-around incredibly wise and amazing and bright individual. So in this episode, we cover a lot of ground. We talk about because uh, he, what he's doing with his orchestra, he is creating uh, a very interesting experience for high level executives and we explore that and we break that down like why and how he's using the orchestra to create really profound shifts and insights in really like fortune 500 companies um, and it's a really big deal so we talk about um, getting to the point of zen mind the importance of music in schools um Asking and understanding what is success to you, adapting to change and diversity. Roger's book, Maestro, a surprising story about leadership by listening, creating an attitude of curiosity, how to create your own vision, going into imagination and exploring what if, uh, the lie of the hamster wheel, embracing the places that are not safe, the importance of observing and listening, and why music is a natural gift, and why you shouldn't set the bar incredibly high for enjoying music. So if you're individual if you're interested in leadership if you have a business especially um, this is definitely an episode for you i know that you're going to enjoy it if you like the show and you want to support please just take a screenshot share an image on your instagram tag me at matt belair let me know what you're listening let me know what you enjoyed Um, those shares go a really long way leaving a review on itunes is super epic they're like pure gold each and every one really counts so please take a moment to leave a review on itunes and also patreon thank you so so much to the people contributing on Patreon. Even if it's a dollar forty-four, like a buck, it it goes a long way. Um, just a lot of people chipping in a little amount, something that you don't even have to think about. Thank you guys so much for doing that. You can go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair if you want to toss a buck in the bucket. And I want to thank Joannis. I'm hoping pronouncing that right. Thank you so much for supporting. And thank you to my patrons who, you know, they just took their pledge and they and they put it down. They were they were giving me 24 bucks and then they went down to three dollars thank you you could have gave me nothing and i appreciate everything i'm really grateful for your support it helps trust me it helps um i'm just grateful so thank you guys so much uh, but the best thing that you can do if you want to support the show is one kind act today go out of your way do an act of kindness for someone else uh pay it forward pick up a piece of trash get somebody's name um listen to somebody be an ear uh let someone in traffic just be a good human today that's the best thing that you can do to support the show For those of you guys who are interested in coaching and you are serious about understanding and discovering what your soul purpose is, what your life purpose is, how to create a life based around your passions and everything around transformational coaching, there are specific programs that I've put together just for you working with um, hundreds of people from peak performance to everyday Joes to everything in between entrepreneurship, business, marketing. You know, I've kind of worked with them all. So no matter where you are, where you'd like to go, we can help you just discover what that is. 
give you the tools and the mindset and the coding, the mental coding, everything you need to know about law of attraction, consciousness, all of that stuff demystified, super simple, and help you along your way and uh, help you get extraordinary results. The people that I've worked with are really, I'm, I'm blessed to work with them. We have people writing books, uh, starting podcasts, um, creating incredible music and art. So the whole gauntlet. So if you're interested in that, you want to learn one-on-one about what myself and the guests I'm speaking to are talking about and you want to dive deeper, just hit me up mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and I'll happily help you out. And if you want me to come into your organization and you're already a peak performer and you want to do some training with your staff around mindset, consciousness, peak performance or anything like that, hit me up matt at zenathlete.com. You can zoom me in and uh, I love working with you and your organization and see what you're up to. So just make an inquiry and we will sort that out. Uh, Make sure you go over to the website sign up for the email list that helps there's a free lucid dreaming if you go to forward slash lucid dreaming and that's it i'm going to stop yammering so thank you guys so much for listening oh i want to thank my podcast sponsor and partner the himalaya podcast app they're free they're easy to use you can create playlists you can communicate and connect with other podcast listeners and lovers it's a great way to explore new shows um, but make sure when you're over there you give the master mind body and spirit show a follow and you can uh, find it at uh, himalaya h-i-m-a-l-a-y-a over on the uh, app apple itunes and and wherever apps are that's where you find it um so it's how i listen to them and i think it's a really great app so anyway let's get into it um so wherever you are in the world let's come into a state of peace and coherence together so whatever you're doing just stop and taking a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and just fill every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being as you let that breath out slowly with peace, joy, empowerment, connection, and ready to take on this incredible episode with Roger Nirenberg. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind Body and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest made his New York conducting debut at Avery Fisher with the Pro Art Chorale and Orchestra. He was soon invited to conduct operas in two successive seasons at the Mostly Mozart Festival at New York's Lincoln Center. Thereafter followed long successful tenures as music director of both the Stamford Symphony in Connecticut and the Jacksonville Symphony in Florida. Guest conducting invitations came from the National Symphony, the Opera Theater of St. Louis, the Detroit Symphony, and many others. Abroad, he has recorded with the London Philharmonic and conducted at both the Prague Spring Festival and the Beijing Festival. He is the creator of the music paradigm, which has taken him to the podium over over 90 different orchestras before hundreds of different organizations in 23 different countries. Many of those lessons learned on this journey are presented in his book, Maestro, A Surprising Story About Leading by Listening. Welcome to the show, Robert Nirenberg. Roger Nirenberg. Oh, did I say Robert? You did. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry about that. I'm glad you corrected me. I was, I was getting through the bio and I butchered it terribly. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nice to have you on the show. I Great. looked at your work and, uh, you know, we were discussing a little bit before we came on. I've never had somebody in your genre of music before, somebody um, in the orchestra. And I feel like I am not a music expert by any means, but I feel like the orchestra is almost like the pinnacle of what would be classical music, very uh, 
educated, you know, very hard, very hard to do like piano and all those instruments take years to master. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, um, your journey, and, and we'll get into all the things you're working on, including the music paradigm, which seems incredibly interesting. Well, first, let's just say a couple of words about the orchestra, as long as you mentioned it. Uh, the orchestra is thrilling. It's a place where, um, where, well, when I when I started playing in in orchestras when I was in school, I mean in high school, there was this this electricity which I felt in my body that it was almost impossible for me to remain seated in the orchestra. I it was the energy was so great, and so I don't think of it, the orchestra as something which is you know particularly sophisticated or or you know for the well educated. I think of it as something which is just raw energy and emotion but it also deals with with subjects that are that are very deep and very profound and so it changes your life it changes the way you think about yourself it changes the energy that you bring to every day so when i discovered this as you know uh, even before my teens uh, i knew that that was just what my life was going to be about Amazing. Well, you know, I have never been to a live show, but I've heard incredible things. So because I'm not so educated on it, why don't you tell me and the listeners just a little bit about like what you do? How do you get into that? What does the conductor do? I know it's obviously the most important part and I'm completely ignorant over here. So the more I understand your work, I, I want to go into what you're doing with the music paradigm and all that. I just, I just know that it's important and I know very little about it. Well, I would like you to come to a music paradigm session because I invented it exactly for people like you. When, when I became a, a music director and I had two orchestras, it became painful to me to the, the realization that so many people feel blocked to this kind of, of music. They don't really, they've never felt it. They don't know how to get into it. And so I began to ponder, is there a way that anybody can learn to feel the experience, the same experience that I felt. That was what I was looking for. And so I pondered it for many years and then I designed this kind of learning experience and I figured I want to put people where I fell in love with music myself. So I put my audience inside the orchestra, sitting amongst the musicians. That's where I felt that electricity. And then the other thing, because so many people feel a kind of inhibition about it, I wanted to change the subject. I didn't want it to be about music. I wanted it to be about something that people felt really strong. Because a lot of people, when you talk about classical music, already they feel weak. So I changed the subject to something that I thought would people would be very interested in. I made it about people's careers. So... But in order to get the insights about their careers, they had to listen to the orchestra in a way that they hadn't listened to it before. So when I started doing this, and I did it for a business organization, I started getting this feedback, like, this is the best leadership experience we've ever had. We've never learned so much so fast. And then I began to get engaged by organizations, large and small, but mostly very large. And within, within a half year of doing it, I was 
I was doing it for CEO meetings of Fortune 100 companies. And that was when I get the, got the big feedback that this was important. This had real business value, which was a big surprise to me because that wasn't really what I, w what I was after. But when I saw the effect that it had and I saw how eager they were for it, I just sort of followed that, that opportunity. And what opened up in front of me was a kind of a, a second career. And so that's what I do now. I do presentations for organizations and I do them all over the world, many different kinds of organizations. And so, you know, that's really fascinating. Um, obviously there's, a, there's an incredible power to music and just experiencing music and being involved in music. And can you walk us through like what an experience would be like and why do you think it's being so beneficial? Why do you think it's having such an impact on these leaders and, and helping them, you know, with their planning and, you know, there's, there's all these benefits, like what are they experiencing and, and what is it like to go through this process? Um, well, you asked a lot of interesting questions in that one question. So I'm going to uh, talk about why I think it's so beneficial. Um, Everybody has blind spots. And, and in business, you know, the executives, but it's also true of the workforce, you know, their own blind spots are the things that, that reduce the effectiveness of the work. And they, they tend to, it tends to lead to conflict. It leads to lack of productive productivity. It leads to uh, errors and it, it slows things down. So intelligent business organizations are really trying to, to address this and to get their, their workforces working as well as possible. But it's very difficult to, to introduce this because most people, especially the really successful people, but it's true for everybody, people don't like being told what to do and how to do it better because they, they tend to blow it off. They, they tend to say, well, that's the leadership and this is their flavor of the month. And in five years, they're going to be gone, but I'm still going to be here. And I'll just wait that out. I'll do what I know is right. And so it's very difficult for an organization which is trying to keep up with the change of pace in today's world because we know, look at how, you know, we're broadcasting live on Facebook, are we, right? Facebook, you know, 10, 12 years ago, it didn't exist. Today, is it like it rules the world? And that's how fast things are changing. And who knows in 12 years or 10 years what things are going to be like? So business organizations are thinking about that, and they're trying to figure out what do we have to become? And so they roll out these programs for their people, but their people have this attitude of, we're not taking this seriously. We're blowing this off because it's management. So what I do is, first of all, I take those very successful people who are so used to being, knowing how to do things and being the smartest and knowing the best, and I put them in a place where it's possible for them to feel like beginners. So I put them in the orchestra amongst the musicians. So now, unlike most of their lives, they don't know anything. And they don't, they don't really know what's going to happen. In addition to which, the musicians don't either because it's an unscripted event. The musicians come, they rehearse with me for an hour, 
but I don't tell them what we're going to do. And then what happens is the orchestra plays a little bit and I start introducing people to, you know, to pay attention to some things that are going on here and there. But after a while, I start asking the orchestra to do role-playing exercises, to model a particular mindset or a particular behavior. And, and they hear what that behavior does to it. And then I switch the role play. I go generally from something that is not, partic not working particularly well to something that works incredibly well. And so they, then they hear the difference between the two. And they think, wow, this you know, behavior really has an effect. Because one of the things that people get out of this is in real life, things unfold so slowly that it's hard to make a connection between something that we do and the result that comes about eventually. But in music, it all happens really fast. So you do a behavior, immediately you hear what it is. So it becomes a kind of a space in which it's much easier for people to connect dots than it is in real life. So they start to see by these role plays, they start to connect dots in ways that's very satisfying you know, and very gratifying. But also because I'm customizing these role plays around that particular organization, and I've, I've consulted with them. So I do role plays to grow spontaneously in the orchestra, the issues that are happening in the organization itself. So that by listening to the orchestra, it begins to be like looking at a mirror and you're seeing yourself you're seeing yourself as you wish you could become, and then you're seeing yourself in ways that you don't want to own. You don't want to acknowledge that that's you. But it's so, it's so disarming, and it's so nobody feels attacked, nobody feels threatened, because it's only about the orchestra and it's only about me. But everybody is making connections about themselves and their behavior. And then all of these kinds of lessons that people are deriving, it's coming on these waves of sound that people feel on, on their faces and they feel their bones resonating and they, they start to feel emotion, which is the reason that I invented it in the first place. And so these, these lessons about, about organizations, how to work effectively, they come with a huge emotional component and so it's it's irresistible it's just irresistible wow man that seems like a very fascinating experience um i i i would yes I'm, I'm well i'm up in canada right now so i'm not too far from new york we're actually looking to make a trip down there so if i'm coming your way i would absolutely love that so for clarity i have a lot of questions for you one of them is do you see an application for this in schools? And I would also love to hear your perspective on music in schools, because I think that the music budget in a lot of schools is, this is a bit kind of off topic, but, but on topic, because I think it's important music experts who see the power of what this can do. When you're explaining it to me, the way that my mind processes this is it's a little bit like sport because I have a sports background, only in the sense that it gets them out of their head in a way. There's something that bigger than them right? There's, there's all these other elements, putting them almost into a meditative state. People don't know how to clear their mind, but you're adding another element in there to allow for something bigger 
to come through. So can you either touch on any of those and explain exactly what the process is like? Like, are you suggesting you have a dialogue between people and then the orchestra is playing behind you or you give them like role plays and then they're trying to play instruments with a role that you've, you've given them? No, no, the, the, only the professional musicians play the instruments. They don't play at all. But I'll give you an idea of, of a role play. There was a, a large organization that was undergoing a big transformation, a real huge and risky transformation, but they knew they had to do it. But they figured the, they gave themselves seven years runway time in order to prepare for when they were gonna launch this. And they said, the only way this is gonna work is if our leaders really get behind it and they enrolled the rest of the workforce because otherwise it'll never change. Big organizations are hard to change. So they put the entire 5,500 top leaders of the organization, gives you some idea of the, the size of it, through this experience with me in, in groups of like 500 at a time. And um, one of the things that they wanted them to understand is that if you're the type of, well leaders tend to be people who are good at solving problems. But if you're the type of person that they, you see a problem and you solve it, that's not gonna be enough to transform it. You have to be able to enroll people in something that hasn't yet happened and to, to connect with them and get them to envision something that hasn't happened. So I designed the following role play. So I said to the orchestra, I already demonstrated there, there are a couple of principal players sprinkled around the orchestra, the principal trumpet, the principal trombone, the principal oboe player, the principal cello. I said, all the principal players in this, this run-through we're gonna do now are gonna be completely devoted to this and we give everything to this performance. But the rank and file, the 80% of the rest of the workforce is gonna do as little as possible without getting caught, which causes a lot of laughter because nobody ever asks them to do that. But they laugh, and then I raise my baton to conduct, and the orchestra plays, and it sounds fine. It sounds good. And after a while, a minute or so, I stop, and I say, I see all these surprised expressions. I bet you thought that was going to be bad. You know? And I could see on your faces that you were thinking, I'm trying to hear the dysfunction. I don't hear dysfunction. But I said, why should this surprise you? Because we all know that this is the way most organizations work that this, this great reservoir of talent and ability is never drawn on. And people are giving much less than they could because, because the organization doesn't know how to draw on it. And you wouldn't even think that this was a dysfunction until you heard the following. What would this be like if every musician used everything you know to make this orchestra sound the way these people never imagined it could be? Well, that gets the musicians really motivated. And then we play the same passage and the notes are the same, but the energy is so different. And people are like blown away by that difference. And they, they feel it in their body and in their spirit. And so after I stop, I say, this is a very challenging demonstration for any leader. Because if you're the type of leader who just, if something goes wrong, you fix it. You will never draw that kind of energy. It's only somebody who sees what could possibly be and then creates the circumstances so that other people could be brought into that that will ever draw that kind of response. So that's really, it's very challenging uh, for leaders 
to think about, well, what would I have to be in order to do that? That's just an example of the kind of role play that it is. But I invent them all the time, and I always customize every, every session for every client. So I'm going to go back to the first part of your question, um, unless you interrupt me. Uh, no? Okay, so um, about music and schools. Well, of course, you know, I owe the school system the fact, I mean, I am a musician because of the school music program, and I had a very good, had a very good program in, in my junior high school and my high school. And um, so I think it's really important. I think that it's a, it's a terrible, it's a terrible shame. It's, I can't find the word strong enough for the way our society has veered away from investing in, in things that are really of long-standing value and has embraced the quick fixes and the, you know, the uh, instant gratification kind of mindset. And I think that what I would like to be part of is a cultural shift that, and maybe, maybe this should, I should incorporate this into, into the remarks that I make to them in the end after they've, they've just been all softened up and they're, they're all like really inspired. And I should say, you people have to get behind music in the schools. Uh, we need a big transformation for that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And it sounds like a very fascinating experience um, and very powerful and very uh, unique. And I think that it does so many different things. I'm just thinking about it from a psychology perspective of putting somebody in a scenario that they're not familiar with. But one, one of the things I think it really does is it just shows through music and sound and what you keep bringing up is like the emotion of it. You know, the difference in when we're emotionally engaged and you even said, you know, bringing out the spirit. And I think that's the essence of music is to bring out emotion and spirit and connection and something bigger. And if you're running a huge organization, that ideally is what you would love from your employees is to have them of their own free will to want to engage. And if you could cultivate that in the work environment, you are really uh, going for it. You know, in, in Olympic teams, they have that normally because they're competing as a unit and they're all on the same team. They're all essentially leaders. They all have equal um, play and say and influence in the result. Sometimes in an organization, it filters down and people can begin to feel less like their contribution isn't as big as they would, they would hope or maybe they don't feel as appreciated. So then they're starting to do the minimum and they kind of squeak by. But if you can inspire the maximum in your organization, it would be a truly transformational experience. So can you speak a little bit yeah, go ahead. A word about what, what you said? Of course, this is a very difficult message to convey because if you say to people, you know, it would be so wonderful if we were all inspired. It would be so wonderful if everybody was giving everything they can. That just falls on deaf ears because they've heard that before. You know, that's not going to, it's not going to affect them. But if they are sitting inside an, an, an orchestra and they've seen me give role play exercises in which the orchestra does not function, I mean, it doesn't fall apart, but it's not excellent. And then they've heard me shift the behavior and then they hear the orchestra get excellent and they see the involvement of everybody. 
that leaves a picture in their mind of what that's like. And even though they're not playing, they feel like they're part of it. As when there was one guy who, in the discussion afterwards, he said, I felt like I wanted to grab one of those violins and do it myself because they just feel very caught up in it. And that lasts. So that gives them a picture of this is what we want to become. That's why I think it's more important than preaching at people. And in, in these my sessions, I never preach anything. I never tell them anything. It's all a laboratory where they can discover it themselves. They see the insights because the things that you've discovered yourself, you have much greater ownership than the things that somebody else told you. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It definitely sounds like you're creating a strong and uh, well, I don't, I'm trying to find the word for it, but just a very conducive environment for accelerated learning. And That's one of the exactly what it is, it's an environment for accelerated learning. Yeah, through the power of music. Sounds amazing. So what I'm curious about, like, you know, a lot of the listeners on the show, some of them are CEOs and things like that. A lot of them are just everyday people. And I'm just curious, if you've learned some things about leadership and insight and, and all of this, uh, I would just say around um, peak performance, leadership, organizational skills of big companies. It's a lot of money. Everyone's supposed to be a top performer. I'm just curious if, if someone's at home and they're, they're looking to like take a step in their direction in their life to improve whatever they're doing. Maybe they're a little entrepreneur trying to get to a medium size. What have you learned about leadership and working with these people, even if it's from music, that they could apply to their lives to get a better result? Well, I've learned so many lessons because what I do in, in my sessions is I customize the sessions around my clients. And what I, I before, before the session, I, I interview them and I say, so what success are you trying to bring about? If, if this was the greatest learning experience ever and the greatest learning that ever took place, what would happen? What would people be doing? So having that question answered hundreds of times by hundreds of clients, I begin to know a little bit more about what people are looking for. So I think, you know, part of the big problem in today is disruption. That what I mean by that is that things change and they change fast. Suddenly there's a new competitor on the scene or new technology on the scene and everything has shifted or suddenly one of your major clients has shifted the way that it wants things done and you have to redesign your operation in order to fit that. That change is fast and it's a race to for who can change the fastest and the best. So people talk a lot about organizational agility, the ability to, to, uh, to respond quickly and respond effectively. So one of the things that I've learned is that leaders who think that the fastest response is the kind of response that would work, that works really well in a crisis. Like let's say a fire breaks out and the building has to be evacuated. When under those circumstances, you want somebody who has with superior knowledge to give instructions, clear instructions and get everybody out. 
You know, that's what you want. But when you want innovation, when you want new ideas, when you want people to be more engaged in the whole process, that kind of command and control that's so effective in some situations actually kills the ability to get everybody involved. So the, in my sessions, I do a lot of uh, exercises where the orchestra is asked to play without conductor. And then I ask them to change the way they do it and to make it sound different. And I, I, I give them directions and, and the, the musicians on the spot, they have to figure out how to do this stuff. I ask them, what if this were by a different composer? How would it sound? Well, they haven't been rehearsed in that. Nobody ever asked them to do it. They have to make it up on the spot. And what, what the people see is that the orchestra has a tremendous ability to do that. And that ability can apply even when there's a conductor. That degree of engagement and that, that making everybody connect together. So that's one of the big lessons that you try to get people to connect with each other. But leaders often like to feel like they're in the center of things. They like to feel like they're the switchboard through which all this communication comes. But that, that slows things down. And it's just not as much fun to collaborate with your coworkers when the leader's involved. You want to be able to initiate and go to them yourself. And you want the leader's support. You want the leader to provide resources and, and, um, and to facilitate what it is that you're trying to do. That's one lesson. Well, I'm, I imagine that there, there are many, and that's a great one right there. And you also wrote a book. Uh, it's called Maestro, A Surprising Story About Leading by Listening. Yes? yes. And you even won a prestigious award. That yeah, I, I, was, I was astonished because, you know, I'm not a writer. I'm a musician. But so many people were asking me to write about this. And, and so um, I had a contract, and it, I found that it was extremely difficult to write about music and to write about these ideas. So it took me a long time, but finally when it was published, it won an award for the best leadership book of, of that year from uh, an organization that, that specializes in, in business books. So I actually was really proud of that achievement. And I'll tell yeah. you just a little bit about, about the book. Um, it's a story, it's a fable, it's about an executive who, um, He's been very successful. He's, he's always been a great leader. So he gets promoted higher and higher. Then he gets promoted to the top level. And now the people that he's leading, they all know much more about what they do than he does. They've been in the organization much longer than he has. And the things that worked with his teams, they're just not working on this level. And he gets a warning that the word in the grapevine is that his division is not doing well, and it's because of him. And he's, he's very confused. He doesn't know where to turn because he's only doing the things that have been successful before. But through his daughter's violin teacher, he gets introduced to a conductor who has this reputation for being a great leader. And he goes to watch him rehearse the orchestra. 
and he finds that what he knows he can see that the conductor is amazingly effective, but he can't see how he does it. Uh, and so he wants to talk to him. So he, he, he starts having conversations after them, after each rehearsal. And the conductor explains his ideas about leadership. And they are completely different than this executive's idea. And he kind of resists it because he, he, it's not the way he was taught. But over time, he comes to see that another way of leading um, can be much more effective. And it, it relates to the thing that you want to learn about conductors, because conductors, they're responsible for all the sound, but they don't make any sound themselves. They can't actually affect, they can't make the orchestra play, they can't force it to play. If they try to give directions and prescribe, do this, do that, they just kill the orchestra. It, everybody gets demoralized. Everybody stops listening. They start not paying attention to the conductor. What the conductor has to find a way of uh, awakening people's curiosities about each other and about the possibilities of what they could do so that they they gravitate towards and choose the idea that the conductor had. But it's not because he's telling them. It's because somehow he's making it clear that they could see and choose it themselves. What you're sharing really reminds me of Zen philosophies. You know, it's kind of like teaching without teaching and things like that. And, and really just in, inspiring the knowledge to come from within and, and, you know, lead by example, but also giving that person, that uh, student or that coworker or that person an opportunity to be their best without you telling them, just creating the environment for them to do so, to, to give them that nudge and that space. And then also the, um, the trust to be able to do it themselves. I remember reading a book a long time ago by Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. And one of the principles that he shared was that uh, leadership, the number one motivator of people is not money or anything like that. It's appreciation. And it seems like your ideas on leadership are a little bit out of the box, a little bit um, not common, not the mainstream. And I think that they're very important. What I'm curious about is how would you recommend uh, it's kind of two questions that an individual learns from these principles of leadership to improve their own life. And if you're leading people, how do you, how would you recommend, maybe they don't have an orchestra, they, they have their little mom and pop shop, they've got different situations. What would you offer them to cultivate the environment that you're creating for these experiences for these CEOs and, and companies? Well, that's a very rich question that you asked. And obviously I can't provide a bandaid you know, just put on this Band-Aid and it'll stop bleeding. But my book is for people like that. There are videos that I make that capture moments of what I, what I do. There's my website that people could write to me with what, what they're struggling with, what they would like to find another way of, of uh, handling, because that happens at the end of my sessions. We have dialogue and people pose various kinds of questions. Um, and there are sort of principles that you could learn to apply. But I think the most, the most important thing is an, an attitude of curiosity 
experimentation, understanding that you don't master things quickly. And you have to become patient with yourself and your learning. But I like to say that everybody can improve their leadership. They may not be able to become the greatest leader ever, but they can definitely improve. And for the people who work under that leader, every tiny bit of improvement comes as a huge relief to them because the leadership behavior is whipping them around and you know, little decisions that the leader makes turn into big adjustments that everybody has to make. So every little improvement is very significant. And I write about this, I write blogs with little leadership lessons that I think are important. Seems like practical information. Um, the other thing that I wanted to share our, our chat about is in, in the bio, it talked a little bit about vision. And I'm curious about the growing up in a music atmosphere and, and working with these companies because they all have a vision. Sometimes everybody's on the same page looking in the same direction. And I think that's when it's very powerful. You know, you've got your mission and you've got all these business things that you can do. A lot of the people that I work with, they haven't even thought about the vision for their own life. They don't, they don't know what they want. One of the first questions I ask is like, what do you want to do? What would you do if money were no object? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? How do you want to impact? So I'm curious if you could um, give some insights and suggestions for a person in their own journey to find their own vision from what you've learned and experienced. Well, I would say that a lot of business organizations, big and, and small, are not so clear about their vision. Um, and that's part of what I do is I try to crystallize it for them. I don't, I don't add any value, but I connect the dots in a different way for them and I help them to see more clearly what it is that I hear them saying and what they really want. Now, how do you do that for yourself? Well, I don't have a quick answer for that. I have my real answer, but it's not a quick fix. Um, you have to be willing to, to do some imagining work that takes time, but it doesn't necessarily produce any results. And of course, conductors and, and composers and, and creative artists, they do this all the time. There's the blank page. There's the blank canvas, you know. And now, what are you going to fill it with? So we get very used to living that way. But I still, and I was doing this today, I'm, I'm conducting a piece tomorrow, and I'm trying to crystallize for myself what the vision of that piece is. And I came up with this great idea today, and it was, it, it was related to painting. It was related to Italian Renaissance painting and the chiaroscuro of the lightness and dark and, and how the painters make, define, make the, this canvas into a three-dimensional space through the use of light. That by light, you can tell what's close and what's, what's not so close and all that. And there's something like that in music also. And 
that's an idea I never had before in my life, but it came to me today. So when I'm doing this kind of probing into the void kind of work, it always feels to me like a waste of time. It always feels like, you know, I could be solving so many problems. I could be writing so many letters. I could be writing, you know, a speech. I could be working on things. It always feels like it's a waste of time. And so my experience is that a lot of people don't do it because they don't see the value. So if there was some advice that I would, I would have for people who say, don't discount this kind of work that's creative and where you are imagining things that never happened before, that you've never seen before, that you go into a kind of a what if space and you contemplate and you imagine that if you spend some time on that, in that space on a regular basis, things will start to change. But don't expect any encouragement from anybody else because nobody will understand it or respect it. You have to, that you have to have the strength to believe it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you gave your truthful answer because there really is no quick fix. And I think that's, that's something when communicating with people that they don't do. It's that simple. I think that the way that this, the world is kind of built right now is very fast paced, very treadmill, very wake up, get things done. And we're not giving ourselves enough time to just think for a moment, to create that space, to imagine, to explore our minds. And then all that action during the day, if you're going to spend all day doing a task, you should probably spend at least, you know, five, 10% exploring what it is that you're building and if it has meaning and if it has value to you. And that I feel from, talking to a lot of different people, um, coaching a lot of different people. When I asked them the question, what would you like to do? They haven't done any, any, any time thinking, reflecting, contemplating, drawing it out and just imagining. And it's so critical, but it's an, it's an, a necessary step. You can't kind of pass go and collect 200 if that isn't a part of your process because it's going to define your life and your vision and, and the way that you're going. In addition to which, it's not the truth. You know, you, you're talking about, you know, students of Zen. And we know that most people live in, in a, what is it called? It's an illusion. You know, it's not the truth about things because, because the, the way they conceive of the world, it's static, that tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday. This task is going to be the same thing. The result is going to be the same thing that I did before. It, whereas the reality of life is so much more fluid and so many more, more possibilities, but we become blind to that because we become so intentional in the way we use our, our consciousness and our focus that we, we, don't, we don't see what's really going on, often until it's too late. And we don't have any, any of life left to live. And I think it's the people who come close to losing life who have the chance, they get this chance if they, if they, if they can still live, to see, it, to see it with fresher eyes. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of cases where people will, uh, what do they call it? Like the midlife crisis, right? Sometimes they'll wake up and just be like, what the heck is going on? And sometimes it'll be an illness or it'll be a loss in the family. And that's the thing that kind of snaps them out of that habitual thinking and this you know, hamster wheel train track that they're on feeling like this is the way that they're going to go and there's no change. But when you take a pause and you really connect, like you said, I love that. It's not the truth. You know, it's like we, once we've done it once, we're setting it up forever, you know, to infinity when really the truth is that it is fluid. And if you pay attention and you look around, life is really special and magical and changing all the time. If you are giving yourself that opportunity to view it like that, it's, an, it's a great it point. Of a, a college roommate of mine who um, in his junior year, his girlfriend dumped him and uh, in, in a, not a graceful way. And he, he described the, the, the way he felt. He was walking around campus and he felt like everybody that he passed, every single person, person knew what, that she had dumped him. It was, that was what he experienced. And they were, they were laughing at him. And that's, that's the lie. That lie is a projection out onto the world of some mind thing that we have, and it's all basically trying, we're always trying to just protect ourselves and keep ourselves safe. But a lot of times you have to embrace, if you want to grow, you have to embrace the place where it's not safe. You have to be able to go there, have faith that you're not gonna get hurt just because it feels dangerous. Uh, and explore and don't try to control what's going to happen see what's going to happen and go go with it all the stuff is it it makes for good leadership too if i had enough time to explain in what way again if you wish I, those points are, are super relevant and, and you're really grounded in the sense of knowing, you know, like I think a lot of young people, I still consider myself to be young, but you've got like, you are, you know, you are, um, yeah. oh yeah, thanks. You know, 30, 35 and there's a generation of 20, 25 coming in and they really are reading a lot of stuff on, let's say entrepreneurship, success, all these different things. And what you're sharing from working with some of the leaders of leaders, you know, super successful people that there is no quick fix. It is, it's more of a simple process. There's more about awareness. There's more about questioning. And um, I like how you said spirit, but there's also another thing that we've kind of touched on a few times was just the listening aspect. I'm just curious if you, if you could talk about that a, a little bit, because from my perspective in, in, you've got the one idea that you've talked about is being aware, you know, watching it unfold and, and being a part of it and having the courage to, you know, take those actions into places that you're afraid of. I think that's really important. The other part of that observation is listening. And if you can tune in and improve those two aspects, I think those are ones that many people have a high degree of, uh, Capable, I'm phrasing this terribly. I'm trying to say they have a lot of room for improvement. There we go. Most people have a lot of room for improvement for listening. Um, so I'm wondering if you can share and talk about that. I had so many thoughts while you, while you were saying that. I kind of lost track because you. Uh, I had something important to say. But maybe it'll come back to me. 
You'll find it. I can go through my rant again if you want to kind of – I lost my – I got lost in my own mind and I took you with me. Yeah, it's just – I was yeah. just talking about um, the importance of listening, observing when you're yeah, going. Yes. yes. Well, I can certainly talk about that. Yes, please. Uh, you, you need some degree of self-confidence in order to listen. Um, because while somebody is, is speaking, uh, if your mind goes to... What, what do I think? What am I going to, what am I going to say? You detach from the, the person who's speaking and you've now created a barrier between yourself and that person. And this people do that all the time so that they don't listen until the end. They listen to, they listen for opportunities to speak, you know, uh, and this happens it happens in an instant, but we can learn to catch ourselves in that moment when we're making that transition and just say, hold on, you know, I don't, I won't forget what everything that I have to say. I can be confident that I'll find that and just let me go with what's happening here. And let me be, let me focus my attention on that. Let me be curious about it. Let me come with questions and clarifications. Uh, and that's the act of listening. And I think if you want to improve the way you listen, I just had, I was practicing the piano today and trying to improve on that. And what I discovered is that there's this tiny little piece of time where something has to happen and my hand has to get in the right place. But the, the, the practicing is about expanding that time and enlarging it, understanding that you can get a lot done in that little piece of time. So I was thinking about coaching executives and trying to get that moment when they're about to detach and enlarge it and let them see that in slow motion. Let them see what that thought process is. So the next time it happens, they catch themselves at it and they don't go down the tunnel that they've always gone down, that they see there are a number of choices. And it comes from the, it comes from the process of slowing things down and being confident that you can follow these other things. You won't lose yourself. People don't listen because they're afraid of losing themselves. And they don't listen because they're trying to control the conversation. They just want to make sure that they're making a good impression that, you know, that's what causes people not to listen. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> <coughs> Yeah. Yeah, I agree with the, I agree with that, and it's interesting that you brought up the piano because one of the things uh, I am going to be a father soon. So one of the things I remembered about thank you very much is uh, the baby's womb, and I heard <laughs> that if you play Mozart, it's supposed to be good for the brain development. And I've also heard that, uh, and maybe you have a preferred uh, 
preferred person, but uh, that and also playing the piano as a very important thing for uh, development. And I was just curious if you could speak on maybe those two things, but also just music in general, um, the importance of that and just learning it. Because I feel for me, being a martial artist and having a physical background, I think that's very important. The one that I didn't really pick up was music. And I, and in my later years, I'm, I'm going into it a little bit more. It's a slow learning process. I just feel like there's so much value there and all of these subtle things that you know and experience as a, as a musician, you know, you're a high level musician and I don't think it's, uh, it's completely necessary to get all of those subtle lessons and information and knowledge you get from practicing music from experiencing it from what i've learned from martial arts I, I know from the people who enjoy music that they're learning the same things that i've learned that are kind of intangible through music so i'm wondering if you could maybe speak on that a little bit you'll see with your child that and by the way it's incredibly exciting you have the, you have the greatest time ahead for you um you'll see that music is the, is the most natural impulse and all children have it. And there's no inhibition about it. It's just just the same way like movement and dance. And dance is rhythmic movement, you know? So feeling rhythm, feeling rhythm in your body. And then speech is very musical also. Speech is full of rhythm. That's the way we get meaning in the speech is through the rhythms that we make and the inflection and all that it's you know and that that's the way i experience the world i'm constantly listening to and observing the music around me uh so i think that what people need to do is they need to have that kind of encouraged and accepted and and not to set this tremendously high bar about what music is supposed to be. It's the most natural, the most natural thing. Some people are just incredibly gifted and they're very lucky, but everybody has some gift. And uh, just like athletic ability, you know, they're the great athletes and they're the ones we celebrate and all that. But everybody has some athletic ability, some coordination, how great it would be if that were cultivated and, and developed in everybody. They become, they just become richer people, and they, they they lead richer lives, and more ways in which they interact with people and connect with them, and the same is absolutely true of music. So I would say, get your child into some kind of groups. You know, there are musical groups for one-year-olds, and uh, and for two-year-olds, and 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 you know. They're everywhere and you can find them. And a lot of the people who, who run those things are very enlightened people. You know, they're wonderful people, very creative and uh, the kind of people that you want to have in your life. Yeah, absolutely. You made a lot of great points. Um, what I like is, is the idea that it's about the experience. You know, you don't just play sports so you can, you know, be the fastest or be the best. You know, skateboarding is a good humble example of that because skateboarding is just failure and it's so freaking hard. And, and most of the time you're, you're terrible even when you're half decent. Um, but music and art are the same way. And I think a lot of people don't go down those avenues because they think that their art needs to be good. They think that their music needs to be good and they forget about the value of the experience and, and forget about the comparison. It's just the experience of those activities that really can 
add a lot of value to one's life experience and a lot of information and knowledge that is very subtle and hard to kind of describe. It's just you're getting these, this confidence and this learning and this education through a medium that's enjoyable. And it's, it's in addition to information, it's about the act of having one's attention absorbed in something. You know, that's a great experience to, to, to cultivate so that people know what that feels like. You know, children know what it feels like to, to become fascinated, to become so engaged that, you know, it's one of the experiences where time stops. And of course, that happens much more for children than it does for adults. We, we kind of, we learn to inhibit that. There was a, there was a, a speech that I heard by a, a business consultant um, in which he drew on the board, he had this stick figure. It looks sort of like a wheelbarrow, but, but it, was all, it was all wrong. The, the, the front wheel was in the middle of the, the barrow and, and the, the, the handles were way too long. It was all, it was all distorted. And he asked the, the class to just make random comments about it and for somebody to write them down. And within a couple of minutes, he had 50 comments. And then he sorted them into the ones that were judgmental, uh, the ones that were neutral, and the ones that were judgmental. And then he sorted the ones that were positive and the ones that were negative. And there were five times as many negative comments as the one positive ones. And he said, when you do this with children, it's the other way around, that there are five times more positive ones than negative ones. And what that means is that the way, our, our, the way we are educated and the way we learn to become adults is to develop critical thinking. And it's very important. But what it means is that we're very expert at killing and criticizing things. And he said, if you come up with a creative idea, you're going to have to work 10 times harder to get people to embrace it because of this this critical faculty. So I think that that music, you know, if you don't ruin it for people, is uh, it's a creative space. It's a natural space in which you can you can lose yourself and and expand your cap- capability to concentrate. And all that, you know, all this stuff that I'm doing all these leadership lessons and everything, it all comes in that space. That, and I keep it very non-judgmental. You know, nobody ever feels in that, in that room with me, feels anything other than supported and, and listened to and taken seriously. And there we are listening to this this thing, and I never, I don't mention the name of the composer. I don't identify it. I don't want people to start putting on their cognitive, you know, judgmental hats. I want to keep it in this zone of unknown. And I think that's part of the reason that this learning is so different from, from other kinds of training and why it's so difficult to explain to people. 
Yeah. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Well, what you're talking about there is the cultivating attention. And so many people know that they say, you know, meditation is good for you. You should meditate. And so many people are like, Matt, how do you meditate? And, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can meditate and you don't have to meditate. You can, anything that takes your attention to that degree is meditation. You can do it through music. You can do it through art. You can do it through sport. If you are fully involved and you're not thinking about the grocery list or the limiting beliefs you have, or you're beating yourself up, that is meditation. And you can cultivate that experience. And once you begin to enter that space, you know what it feels like. You can start to go into that space deliberately. Sometimes you need some help, but you need to be able to identify that space because that's literally a state of conscious consciousness. People just think like the only state of consciousness they have is your taskless consciousness, the fear one, the one that's critical, making things, you know, whatever they're doing. But if you can meditate is one way, art, uh, it could be even building something. It could be playing with your kid. It could be watching a kid. Who knows what it is, but if your attention can be fully absorbed and that's where the accelerated learning comes in and that's where the spirit comes in as well i think because you know our consciousness i I call sometimes the little person i used to call it the dumb dumb brain i'll rephrase that because it's it's not dumb dumb it's just so limited compared to the whole you know what our consciousness is able to receive as far as information on what is actually happening is so tiny and it is distorted from all of our beliefs and all of our fears and all of the things that have happened. But when you can move out of that space and, and become fully engaged, whether through music and the experiences that you create, whether through meditation or art or some other experience, that is when you're starting to access the spirit in yourself, the spirit around you, what you want to call God force or whatever. And that's where insights drop in because you've moved out of the way and allowed more information. You've kind of opened yourself up to something greater. So um, I don't know if you want to comment on that. I would, I would love to do a, a music paradigm session for a meditation group or for some kind of people who are, you know, um, trying to develop their consciousness or their, um, there's a better word for that. What's the word? It's not your consciousness. It's your presence, your ability to be present. Um, you know, I've I've always been asked to do it by business organizations that want to have better communication and better collaboration, all that. I'd love to do it for a group where the goal is, you know, high, uh, to uh, attain a higher, higher level of spirituality. Oh, yeah. I think you'd get great results. And if you did EEG scans and what you'd able to be able to do with the brainwave scans, I guarantee using music and what you would do would, would allow the person to go into different states of mind quite easily. Uh, I would be, I'll sign up. If you do it, I'll definitely sign up. Um, this has been a pleasure. You're so grounded and wise. And I know you're such a, um, accomplished musician, but so humble. And I appreciate you, um, with your patience and me not really understanding so much about, uh, that side of music, but you're, you're such an incredible human, but so grounded. That's really what I felt this whole time. Just a very grounded, wise compassionate individual. So thank you so much for all of the insights you've shared and um, anything that you wish that I'd asked or that you want to leave the listeners with. Um, well, well, I just want to say that I got a, a, a thrill out of this conversation. Uh, I was inspired by it. So thank you for that. Wow. My pleasure. Well, where can people 
Uh, and I appreciate that. It's very kind. Um, where can people find more about you, your work? And is there, is there anything that uh, you want to leave the wis- listeners with before we go? Um, my website is musicparadigm.com. And there's lots of stuff to see there. Um, I take, you know, I don't write many blogs because I, I try to perfect them. Uh, and I want them to be really good. So I don't write a blog. I don't post the blog unless I believe in it. But the ones that are there, there's, there's, uh, there's value in that. And then there are videos and then there, there are many things to be found there. And that's, and that's the, the portal through which you can find me and send me questions or, you know, um, comments. Perfect. And is that uh, musicparadigm.com or themusicparadigm.com? Musicparadigm.com. Right on. Well, Roger, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you and your work. I hope that I'm able to experience one of these. Um, what, do, what do you call them? What do you call Set. those things? Set, Set. Just a session? Yeah. Well, I'm going to think of it in my mind as a magic, magical, accelerated learning music session. Um, I hope to experience one one day. Well, they're very funny. You know, in addition to everything else, there's, there's a lot of laughing going on. Yeah, I bet I can, I can see that. I just, I just, I can sense the environment you create a very open environment and, and you let the guards down. And if you can cultivate that kind of space, you know, a lot of fun and joy and information and all kinds of good stuff is going to come through that. And, and if we can learn how to cultivate more of those spaces all around the world, however they're done, um, have a massive impact. So thanks for you and your work and uh, what you're doing. And, and I look forward to staying in touch. Thank you so much. My pleasure. See everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Right on, guys. I hope that you enjoyed that episode with Mr. Roger Nirenberg. What an amazing man, a bright soul. Uh, just uh, had a, such a pleasure talking with him. Super brilliant. And if you're in an organization, especially with, you know, over 20 people, 50 people, 100 people, people. You could hear how we broke it down and how powerful that is. It's really about um, getting out of that regular mindset, breaking old patterns, allowing something new to come in. And that's how you access more information because as humans, the way our mind works, the way our consciousness works, we get into set patterns. So it's hard to allow something new in. So I completely understand what Roger is about and, and what he's doing. It sounds like an incredibly powerful experience. And I hope that I get to experience that one day. Um, What else? Thank you to my patrons. Thank you to all of you who've left a review. That helps. And if you like the episode, please share it on your Facebook. Tag me at Matt Belair. uh, Instagram, all over the place. It really helps. But the best thing that you can do is one kind act today. If you are interested in coaching, leveling up, you want some training and consciousness, peak performance, mindset, spirituality, all of the things that we talk about here from meditation to lucid dreaming to really out there concepts, um, there is something that we can create for you, for your organization that is going to be useful that works and that's going to help you get results so thank you so much for listening i hope you can't hear that uh uh lawnmower in the background it seems like every single day that someone is cutting their lawn these days so hopefully um it's it's not too loud but uh we'll just close it by coming to a state of peace and coherence so wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing taking a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath And just let it out slowly, filling every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being with peace, joy, empowerment, connection, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we will see you in the next episode.